Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkwood this morning. If you're a guest with us, I hope you've, you feel like family this morning. Uh, we are transitioning from one sermon series. We've been in the Gospel of Genesis for some time, and now we're, we're, we're fixing to start a new series. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter, and we're introducing 2 Peter a little differently. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 10. I hope that'll be clear to you why we chose to start that way. Just on the top of your notes, just so you know where we're going, I wanted you to see that. You see three things, the foundation of lasting faith, the opposition of false teachers, and the return of Christ. Sort of what we're going to sort of give you a little foretaste of, of where we're going and what we're going to be talking about over the next 12 weeks is this, the, to remember. So we're going to say, we're going to hear that word a lot over the next 12 weeks. Remember. Primarily, what does it mean to remember the foundations of lasting faith? If we are to, there is nothing more critical this morning in your family and in God's church than godly leadership. And so what we're going to let happen is we're going to let Paul introduce Peter because Paul's going through some mess in the church in Corinth. The church of Corinth, remember, they was having trouble. First letter, he was dealing with immorality. If it wasn't the world coming into the church, then we had false teachers coming into the church. And remember how a false teacher does it. If he wants to undermine the message of the man, you undermine the man. We're still pretty good at that today, aren't we? We hear that happen all the time. You, you want to negate what a man's saying, attack his character. And so this was happening with Paul. So Paul is defending his ministry, his apostleship. But I want you to see this one. It's what the whole message is revolved around. If what he's defending his ministry with is something objective, it's something visible. It's something that he's pointing to in his actual life. And it is his enduring faith. He is enduringly faithful to Christ and the mission. It's his goal. That's his purpose. That's what he's laying out. And it's something that you can see. So the visible reality this morning of God's grace is our faithful endurance to God's entrusted mission. So there's it's heavy on me this week, and even last week, I appreciate being able to take a week off. We're all concerned. If you haven't noticed, many churches around are in decline. Why? Sit around with our coffees and talk about it if we want to, but brothers and sisters and friends, I am firmly convinced this morning until we restore godly leadership in the home, we will not see a mighty move of God within His church. Because so goes the home, so goes the church. And if we see decline today in any area of life in church, we must first look at ourselves. We must first look that godly leadership begins in the home. It begins with you. So we must apply this first before we... What concerns me is when I start talking about ministry, you're going to thank the pastor. 
Someone who gets paid. I want you to understand this morning, it's not Paul's goal this morning. It's not his case. He's not writing to a pastor's conference this morning. He's not. He's writing to you. He's writing to the church. And so let's turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6 and let's stand to our feet. And just remember, I want to say this every once in a while just so we don't get in these traditional habits and not thinking about what we're doing. Why do we stand to our feet? We do so in reverence and honor to God's word. Why? Because here's what we are saying by you standing. You're saying when God's word speaks, God speaks. So God says, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We, have, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance and affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying, behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So Lord, we need your help today. Many of us have been doing the same things for so long that it is hard to introspectively look at ourselves and ask the question, am I a godly leader? Lord, help us to have the courage and the boldness and the humility to look at ourselves this morning and then to look at your church. Give us wisdom and clarity this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, be seated. And so before we dive into 2 Corinthians 6 this morning, we, we need to understand the context. Because when he starts saying, working together with him then... We need to understand that the gospel brings two things. It brings reconciliation to God. And it brings a ministry with God. And that these things biblically cannot be separated. There's no such thing this morning as a person who is reconciled to God that has no ministry with God. And we don't dictate what that ministry with God looks like. God does. And so... Look up with me at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Let's just see what that is. Look at the clarity of this. There, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this, all of the old passing and the new coming is from God, who through Christ, listen, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now look at verse 19. He's going to explain himself again just so that we understand. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, if you are now in Christ, you were once the world. You were once of the world, and Christ reconciled you. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. And so what is He saying? That this new life in Christ comes with a ministry. And this ministry is worked out in our actual life. Ministry, when we say, when I say, if you're in Christ, you have a ministry, I'm saying that what the Bible says here is that is the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel that we have received, we now have been entrusted with it to take it. To deliver it. Not to change it. This isn't the job of the pastor. It's the job of all Christians. So then, godly leaders are stewards of God's grace. We're stewards of it. Look at verse 1 and 2. Chapter 6. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in the favor of time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so everyone who is reconciled to God through Christ, has a ministry. We are stewards. We are ministers of what? Of God's grace. And he's being very clear that the grace here refers to God's reconciling grace in Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul is not just talking to the crowds. He first has applied this to himself. He's, took it to, he's taken it to heart. So 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't for nothing. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, listen, but the grace of God that is with me. Because with this receiving of the gospel comes God's grace, this reconciliation. And here's Paul's appeal. If you've received this, don't receive it in vain. Don't receive it for nothing. So, rather than talk about the, the negative side of receiving God's grace in vain, let's just talk this morning for a few minutes about what does it mean to be a good steward of God's grace? How do we, be, how do we steward God's grace effectively in our actual lives? Godly leadership must model godly leadership. So godly leaders must model godly leadership. In other words, you have to display something. People don't change simply by what you say. They change by how you model what you say. So I think here Paul has at least five things that are, must be true of godly leaders. If we are going to faithfully endure and if we are going to steward God's grace... To say it in a negative way, if we are going to not take God's grace in vain. Test. Pause. Who are godly leaders? Got to get this this morning. Who are godly leaders? 
Everyone, if you're in Christ, you are a godly leader. No exceptions. No exceptions. And so, this is for us this morning, because godly leadership, we must remember, this is essential. Godly leadership is a privilege. Why? Look at verse 1. Working together with Him. I urge you when you read your Bibles to read it very slowly and to not try to, you know, get a, a chapter a day keeps a doctor away. Read one verse and understand it. Do you hear what it's saying? Based off of our reconciliation to God and what we have been entrusted with, we get the privilege of working with God. This is what kept Paul going. When he was stoned, when he was let off in a basket, when he delivers a message and he scoffed and run out of town. Paul remembers it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be in Christ. It's a privilege to be entrusted with this. 1 Corinthians 3.9 For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Turn with me to Mark 16.20 Paul's not making this, Paul didn't make this idea up. Paul simply following Christ's example. Mark 16, verse 20. Speaking to the disciples, about the disciples. And they went out and preached everywhere. Listen. While the Lord worked, what? With them. He worked with them. They were co-laborers with Christ. And we, being reconciled now, are co-laborers with God. And if you are not modeling by example... We are not leading like Christ because Christ led by example. You know, he taught them. He displayed it by his example and then he let them do it. This is how a leader leads. It's a privilege. But not only are we working, co-laboring with God. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.24. We're also laboring with each other. And there's a purpose. 2 Corinthians 1.24 says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you, listen, for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. So we labor together with God, but we also labor with each other. Why? For your joy. So that you stand firm. So that you endure. That's my concern. And your concern is for me. This is what it means to be godly leaders. We are concerned about the joy of others, about their growth in Christ, about their perseverance in the faith. This is what godly leaders do. So, do you consider your calling as a pastor or as a parent? As a deacon or a teacher, as a banker or a, a plumber, a privilege? An opportunity to work with God for someone else's joy? Because you see, the objective reality in your life is that if you do consider it a privilege to labor with God, it will produce passion in your life. Godly leadership requires passion. Look at the word here. Chapter 6, verse 1. I want you to see the word appeal. Working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God. in That word appeal there is parakleo. It should sound like the word paraclete, which in our mind should go to the Holy Spirit. 
I want you to see this. Look back up at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Same word. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. Same word. This word means to urge, to plead, to beseech, even to beg. Your preacher's chief function is to be an exhorter. I'm not up here just to teach. I'm up here to warn. So are you. That's why you exist. That's why you're, that's why you're married to the people you're married to. That's why the children that you have. That's why you work where you work. We are here to exhort, to encourage, to come alongside, but also sometimes to warn. And here is the heart of ministry. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because if you are going to lead, if you are going to minister, you are going to pour your life into someone. And they will not repent. You're going to invest. And they're going to stick a knife in your back. You're going to see people heading to hell. And you deliver the gospel. And they walk away. And oftentimes we will have to return back to number one. But you see. This is a point this morning. Here's this point. Don't miss it. The center of our passion is not people's response or the way they treat us. It is the message. This is the center of our passion. Look at, this is why he quotes Isaiah 49.8 here. Verse 2. It's simply a quotation of Isaiah. For he says in a favorable time, I listened to you in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah is not simply speaking to, to God's people and calling them to repentance now. Remember, he speaks of a suffering servant to come. And that through this suffering Messiah, the door of redemption would open wide. And here's our message this morning. It will not always be open. It's one way. To salvation. And so we deliver Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born, under, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ has come, and now is the only time of redemption. The, the door, the white, that gate is narrow. The time is short. You see, passion involves urgency. There's an urgency with this message. Does this, does God's message, does God's ministry, does God's mission, does it weigh on you? Or do we see it merely as a duty or the job of the paid guy? Duty will not endure. There must be affections. There must be zeal. There must be passion. In the very why of our ministry. You see, privilege leads to passion. And passion leads to something visible. Your life. You see, it's not just our message. It is our visible life. So godly leadership involves protection. Look at verse 3. We have put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. You see, Paul's commending himself here. As a model, a living picture 
for what it means to steward God's grace faithfully. He says, I commend myself. So what does this protection look like in, in the lives? What does it look like in Paul's life? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 8. I just want, I'm not going to read it, uh, the first part. I just want you to understand this. I'm looking for somebody. I'll use Steve Nelson there. He's, he's good. I can pick on him. He's one of our elders coming here today. We're going to ordain Steve Schultz here in just a little bit. So think about this. 1 Corinthians 8. What's the context? Well, here I am. I've been a Christian for a while. Steve just, just recently converted. New convert, excited, growing, reading his Bible, coming to growth group, can't wait to get here on Sundays. Just a blessing. And I'm going to invite him over for a cookout. And so I go to the store, and lo and behold, they got the meat on sale. But the problem is this meat's been offered to idols. But it's cheap. It's good. Ribs, brother. You know we like ribs. So it's, it's like, you know, that thing was offered to an idol. That idol ain't nothing but a block of wood, a piece of metal. Who cares? I'm going to bless it and eat it. So I buy it. I take it home. I invite Steve over. Steve comes in. We start talking. He finds out it's been awful to idols, and he is undone. Don't you know that that's been offered to the devil? I can't take that and eat that. My response is this. They grow up. That's your problem. That's what Paul's dealing with. What does he say? Is that what Paul says? Paul says, you know, that younger guy just needs to grow up. It's not what he says at all. Look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians 8, 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Verse 12. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Stewardship involves not only guarding your witness, but it involves protecting your brothers and sisters. Listen, we need to, we need to get this this morning. We need to get this. We're a family. And you might not have ever struggled with chemical dependency. You might have never struggled with alcoholism or any other problem that plagues this world, but with one of our brothers and sisters comes into our bodies and they struggle with it. It's our problem. It's our problem. And so whatever I have to give up to present that person complete in Christ and protect that person, I must be willing to do it. That's godly leadership. And if you are not willing, you are not being a godly leader. We live in light of the weakest member in our families whether it's inside our personal family or whether it's in God's family. This is what it means to be a leader. Quote, the life of a Christian must eloquently advertise the gospel. Privilege involves passion. Passion involves protection. But it also, in the midst of this, in the midst of this preaching the gospel and protecting for the joy of other people and their growth, it involves what I call in triumphant endurance. Stole that word triumphant because it helps explain it. Somebody's explained it better than me. It's like, well, that's good. <laughs> Going to use that. Verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And so again, Paul's commending himself. Is Paul being arrogant here? It's not. Paul's not saying, 
I commend to you my great preaching. I commend to you Parkwood. Look at all of our good programs. We really know how to entertain people, right? Is this what he's commending? No. He commends his endurance. His triumphant endurance in his actual life. So look at my life. The word here in the Greek is hupomones. It means, we don't have a word for it. It's, very, it's sort of frustrating. The English language sometimes is limited. It means hope and perseverance combined. It means both. Listen to one of our church fathers said this, Hupomones is a fortress that is never taken and a harbor that knows no storms. That's what he's talking about when he talks about great endurance. Paul is not saying, I commend myself, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Not saying that at, at all. He can open up his shirt and show you his actual scars and say, yes, I have suffered, but not one of them has stopped God's mission. You see, for a child of God, the more the affliction, the greater the grace. Is that the gospel that's been delivered to you? Because, brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. Jesus Christ saves you and offers you a free gift, but it will cost you your life. Our visible example must be modeled, and they're modeled here in two ways. We don't have a lot of time to look at this this morning, but I wanted you to see it. It's modeled by both things that are negative and things that are positive. Negative doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. It means sometimes we don't have any control of it. It just happens because we're Christians. Look at verse, end of verse 4 and verse 5. In afflictions, hardships, and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, and riots. These, these are things that he's not causing. He's not, sign me up for a beating. I'm down with one. I hadn't been in a riot all week. <laughs> yeah. He's not, this is involuntary. This is happening to him simply because he is delivering the message that's been entrusted to him. Simply because he's living in a way like Christ. And sometimes they're even voluntary. Labors. In verse 5, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Paul worked hard. Just part of what couldn't, you couldn't find any fault in his ministry. Paul always was working. He lost sleep over people. He lost sleep over the church in Corinth. He did. He wept over them. He lost sleep over them. He fasted and prayed over them. It's the last time, leader, that you fasted and prayed over something that you wanted God to accomplish. So this is a negative list. It's happening to him simply because he is one of God's children. And he's doing what God said. You see, leadership's going to cost you something. It will. But this is to, to this we are called to be God leaders, all of us. And it will cost us something. Like I said before. You have to just go back to number one and say, but I'm a child of God. It's a privilege to just know Him, to be able to serve Him. But also, there's positive endurances here. Do you see it? Look at verse 6. These are positive. These are things He is pursuing. And He must... You see what happens if you misdefine the word endurance. If you misdefine endurance as barely hanging on, then verse 6 and 7 makes no sense. He's enduring in purity and knowledge and 
patience and kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Verse 7, the truthful speech, the power of God. Weapons for the righteousness for the right, for the left. There's a lot we could say in this list. Much of these lists are laid out for your godly leaders in Timothy and Titus. Especially the first one here, purity. It is, it, it means blamelessness. We, we as leaders, so your elders and your deacons have one overarching character quality that must be true, and that is they must be blameless. That does not mean sinless. That means in a minute when I said, Steve up here before us, there shouldn't be a thing in your mind that immediately goes to the center going, Steve's dishonoring Christ in that area of his life. It's visible, I know it. You might not like his personality. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying that Steve, in every area of his life, is seeking to glorify Christ. It's blameless. Knowledge. Knowledge is our doctrine and our theology. It's what we believe about God and what Christ has handed down once and all to the church. Do you, brothers, in your own home, is this important to you? Or have you relegated the fact that theology and doctrine is something that pastors are supposed to know? This is not for the pastors. This is for all people who are in Christ. How are we going to pass it on to our children when we do not know it ourselves? What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. It's the fire to know God, to know what He said. How then shall we live? But also one of the hardest areas of being a godly leader is patience. Because you cannot get away from people. To somebody who was in the veterinarian the other day, they said the hardest part of being a vet was the people that bring the dogs in, all the animals in, and deal with the people. You can't get away from people. A good leader must be patient. His character matters. Do you see it? Character matters in your leaders. It matters in you. But not only that, look right in the middle of this. He puts the Holy Spirit right in the middle of it. And these are grouped together. The Holy Spirit, the Word of Truth, the power of God is all... Together, you can't separate these truths. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. It's not in your notes. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. It sort of puts these things together for us. Verse 5 says, Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. Holy Spirit comes with power. So we, what we are doing, what he's saying I endured in, I delivered the word of truth. This unchanging message, I delivered it. What I am trusting in, what I'm enduring in, where my faith rises in the Holy Spirit to produce conviction. In the Holy Spirit to bring power and change. To bring regeneration. I don't produce that. I don't do that. I'm not in charge of that. I have a message and I must deliver it. It's the power of God. It endures in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 3 to 5. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 to 5, it says, Paul speaking about himself. He said, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Why was Paul not worried about the fact that he wasn't an eloquent speaker? That he didn't have that charisma? 
Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, the visible reality of my life is not that I'm some eloquent, charismatic speaker, but that I deliver the word of God. And when I deliver the word of God, the spirit of God brings the power of God. And that's the power to change lives. That's what I'm enduring in. And you can't shake it. It will not be defeated. Parents, does this describe you? See, I'm not talking just about the elders in the room today. God, this is, this is speaking to Christians. He's talking about you. Does this describe your leaders? Church, we must expect your leadership to model these characteristics that are in Scripture. Never, never, never drop the bar. God put the bar there. He made the bar for leadership and He makes it high and we dare not move it. If we move it, we move it to, to our undoing. Uphold your leadership high. So privilege leads to passion. Passion leads to protection. Protection, protection bleeds out in our life as triumphant endurance. And then this is important this morning because many of us never... Think this way that we as Christians, as godly leadership, we requires us living in two extremes. We live in two extremes. One, one brother called it the paradox of ministry. It says through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying though we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Ministers of the gospel, godly leaders, you, me, will experience in our actual lives both honor and dishonor. And it might be, and it will be, oftentimes more of the negative from the world that we deliver the message to. How do we know that? We know it through the life of Christ. Turn with me to Genesis 15, 18. You see, Jesus, no one was more loved than Jesus. Do you agree with that? It's loved. We're loving Him now. But no one was more hated. Who hated Jesus? The most religious people in the time hated Him. They plotted His own death. His own disciple betrayed Him. Despised Him. And listen. It's what this, this Scripture is saying. Disciples need not think that they will be treated better than their teacher. If the world hates you, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. And so it goes on to say, look at verse 9. It says, as unknown yet well known. What does that mean? It means that for a child of God, we're not concerned about how many followers we have on Facebook. Or how many 
whether it's Instagram or whatever it is. That's not our fame and self-honor and wealth. That's not our concern as a godly leader. Our concern is that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and that God knows you. That's our concern. Concern is, is not what people think. It's that God has given us a message. As dying, behold, we live. You see, you can't do anything with someone like this. Yeah, we're dying, and yeah, we might be killed. But because I am alive in Christ, I am invincible. I am, as, I am more alive at my deathbed than those who don't know Christ because I'm alive in Christ. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can't do anything with somebody like that. Kill them, give me what I want. Let me live, I got a message to deliver. It's punished and yet not killed. Sometimes, and I don't think this has been adequately taught and even transparently modeled, that sometimes when you're doing the right thing, it seems like you're being punished. The world will punish you. But listen, sometimes, if you don't believe it, work on your marriage for a season. Seek, brothers, to, to lead your home. And women, seek to come alongside your godly husband. And I assure you, initially, your marriage will get harder. It will seem like, am I doing something wrong here? No, that's what the war looks like. If we are going to fight, if we are going to battle, sometimes and most times, it is never going to look comfortable. Mission comes before comfort. That's why we're here. Heaven's coming. It's not now. Mission comes before comfort. In other words, hear me today. Often, you may feel like your leaders are leading you towards pain. Towards discomfort. When in fact, we are leading you towards mission. And God's mission always involves pain. That's where the grace is. Trust your leaders. Verse 10 is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Are you sorrowful over sin? But do you still have hope? Christ is coming. What is wrong will be made right. Sorrowful. I am. I'm sorrowful that I live in a world where my son can't wear a hoodie and go to the store without his motivations, his actor his actions and his character being attacked. I am sorrowful about that. I'm sorrowful that abortion is still the law, the wholesale genocide of a whole generation gone. I'm sorrowful that in North Carolina, heroin deaths have went up 584%. We should be. We live in this world. What keeps us rejoicing? Because we have been entrusted with the only thing that saves the gospel. It has been entrusted to us. We have the hope that keeps us rejoicing. Because it is in when we speak the gospel and when we live the effects of the gospel in our life that God saves and He changes. So what? Do you see yourself as a minister 
as a steward of the gospel in your family and in God's church. Say this again. Do you see yourself as a minister? Do you see yourself as a steward of the gospel in your family and in God's church? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. Like I said before, remember when Paul writes these letters, he's not writing it to a group of pastors or missionaries. or It's not a leadership conference where leaders get together. He's not. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. And so here in this passage, he gives such a simple picture of how it works in the body of Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father the work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How did He know that they were loved by God? How did He know that God had chosen them? Something visible happened verse 5 because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and the holy spirit in full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake verse 6 and you became imitators of us and of the lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the holy spirit so that you became examples to all the believers in macedonia and Achaia. for not only has the word of the lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere so that we need not say anything. So do you see how this unfolds? Look at verse 5. They received God's word. How do you know they received God's word? Biblically received. Because it produced something. Came with the Holy Spirit. Power. Full conviction. What happens in verse 6? Look, look at what look, look at this. I'm not making this up. These people were saved. The power of God begins to work in their life. And what did they do? Verse 6, they followed their godly leaders. You became imitators of us. And who else? Of the Lord. You don't blindly follow anybody. We follow them. We follow Christ. What he said happened. You followed your leaders. Parents, listen to me. If you do not trust your godly leaders, if you bash them at the dinner table, You are teaching your kids not to trust you, for you are their godly leaders. Verse 7, verse 6, follow your leaders. Verse 7, you became examples. See it? Now, now, Now people are following you. Verse 7, you became an example for others. Listen, I'm not telling you to make disciples. I'm telling you, you are making disciples. You're making disciples by what you say and how you live. The question, are you making Christ followers? That's the question. This is our mission. This is what's been entrusted to you. Verse 8, the effect. Look at this. This is what it caused. The results. Look at verse 8. The results was God's word goes forth, and so does our faithful witness. They go out together. Does this describe your life? Is, is, is this the pattern of your life? I know these are hard questions this morning. But wives, does this describe your husband? 
Is he leading by godly example? Husbands, is your wife following your godly leadership? Wives, remember, you are a picture, a living picture of God's glorious, beautiful church. How are you coming alongside your husband to accomplish God's clear, entrusted mission? Listen, this is important. That's why I got two chairs here this morning. He can't do it without you. He can't. Got to come alongside of him. Complement each other. That's why we're together. Husbands. Fathers. Men. God has entrusted you with the mantle of leadership. And you don't get to pick what the mission is. God's already told you what it is. We carry it out. That's what it means to call Him Lord. He's Lord. He tells us what the mission is and we carry it out. And we lead people and they follow us. They are following you. Now. What God is saying this morning is you, men. Right now, you are modeling what it looks like to bring the gospel to the nations. You are modeling it right now. It rests in your leadership. Is that where you are leading your family? Is this where we will lead God's church? So, Parkwood. Biblical leadership is important to us. And so how we believe God has given to us in His Word is that, is that the leadership within the church looks like elders and deacons and both offices of plural. Deacons are, are God's servant leaders. They model it for us and elders model what it looks like to be a shepherd, what it looks like to teach, what it looks like to protect. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to ordain Steve Schultz to the gospel ministry to be an elder of God's church. And so let's pray, let's sing, and then we will put our hands on him and pray over him. So Lord, you've heard, we've heard that your message this morning. Lord, this is hard. I as the man and the husband and the father of my home feel the weight but Lord I don't do this from my own strength you said if we'll obey you you will give us power fill us with your spirit that you'll shower the grace on us to be obedient to give grace to each other as we imperfectly lead Oh God, bring repentance and change in our families. Bring it to us, God. There's a mission. And some of us are just surviving right now. There's people going to hell. And I'm worried about me. So God, help me die to myself. So that I can enjoy the privilege of laboring with you.
our desire, God. Cannot. We don't want to. We will not do it without you. Lord, thank you for your abiding presence with us. Children. So Lord, now we stand to our feet and we declare your glory. Amen. Stand and respond as God leads you.